Hey, and welcome to the first podcast of Up in the Nosebleed. Today, I'm going to be going over all of the all-star starters as those were announced just the other day, kind of giving my gut reaction to everyone who was selected. Um, and then later on, I'll be going into the Dame versus Luca debate that has kind of surfaced in uh, in reaction to those all-star starter announcements. Uh, you know, a lot of people believing that Lillard was snubbed. We'll be talking about that in a little more detail, as well as the cases for each and every person selected. All right, well, welcome to the first episode of Up in the Nosebleeds. I'm super excited to be hopping into to this podcast and just talking sports, talking basketball. Just the other day, the all-star starters were announced. I want to go ahead and give my gut reaction to all of those guys, kind of you know, give their case as to why they were selected to be all-star starters. And then a little bit later towards the end, I'll dive a little bit deeper into what is kind of the main debate uh, surrounding the uh, the announcement of the starters, and that being Luca versus Dame uh, for that last spot in the Western backcourt. So we'll hop into all of those, look at the cases for all of the All-Stars, and we're going to have a good time talking sports. All right, so I'll, I'll kick things off in the East. Uh, you know, in the East, we had the three front court spots going to Embiid, Giannis, and KD, and the two backcourt spots being uh, Bradley Beal and Kyrie Irving. Um, I think for the most part, and this also goes to the West, um, I think I really don't have a lot of complaints across the board. I think everyone who was selected as a starter um, is more than deserving. A lot of these guys are having phenomenal seasons. A lot of these guys are even having career years. Um, And uh, yeah, again, we'll dive a little deeper into each of their cases and everything like that. Um, I think for the three front court spots in the East, again, Embiid, Giannis, and KD, I think those three guys were just easy, definitive locks uh, to, to be all-star starters. When we go into the backcourt here in a little bit, I think that there were, uh, I'd say there were four guards who had real cases to be all-star starters. Of course, they ended up being Kyrie and Beal. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but just kind of starting off with the front court um, and Joel Embiid, I think he was a very easy choice uh, to be an all-star starter. I know there have been a lot of critiques about his game over the last couple of years, um, not only about him, but about the Sixers in general. Um, you know, if you're one to believe that they've underachieved, whether you're still trusting the process, I know there's a, a, a bevy of opinions on what has gone down in Philly the last few seasons, but I think a lot of the criticisms have been answered this year. Again, I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, you know, you definitely have your, your certain biases towards certain teams and certain players, but I, Got to give credit where credit is due. Embiid is a legitimate MVP candidate. I think right now he's at worst second or third in that MVP race. Uh, He's improved just several facets of his game, you know, from his conditioning and his fatigue at the end of games. And, uh, you know, his shot selection at times has been another, um, his shot selection slash effort has been another big uh, critique of him. You know, starting off, he's really improved as a shooter off the dribble, uh, and you can tell he's in a lot better condition. He's he's a lot more available than he's been in years past as well. And if you're just going to look at his traditional statistics, he's averaging 30 and 11, which is crazy. 30 points and 11 rebounds a game is, you know, Shaq-like numbers. He's shooting about 11 free throws per game, and he's making them at an 85% clip. Uh, his 54% field goal percentage is also a career high. He's almost 40% from three. 
Um, and it looks like his shot selection is a little bit, you know, a, a little more appropriate as well. His, he's only attempting about three three-pointers per game, which is a career low. That's about 17% of his total field goal, um, his total field goal attempts. Last year, that was closer to 22%. And uh, if, if you're going to look at most advanced stats, he's right there in, you know, behind Jokic or at least in the top 10. Um, and as far as clutch stats go, he's also up there with, with guys like Dame and LeBron. And I'll go into those guys a little bit later in their crazy clutch seasons as well. But um, Embiid was a no brainer. Uh, he's been phenomenal this year. The big question for him, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Philly um, as the season progresses is his availability. Um, that's another, you know, big I guess you could say knock whether that's you know fair or unfair um it's just you know his health and his availability right now he's missed six games the Sixers have had kind of an easier schedule so far they've only played 10 games against the West they're four and six in those games um only the Celtics and the Wizards have played fewer games against the Western Conference so moving forward it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Embiid and the Sixers um but as of right now they look like legitimate you know, at least Eastern Conference Finals uh, contenders. Um, and we'll talk about Simmons when the reserves are announced uh, next week. But the, Simmons, has been, <laughs> Simmons has been awesome as well. Um, so not much to say, not much else to say there. Embiid is a really easy choice. Um, Giannis, still Giannis, not much to say here as well. Numbers are down slightly from last year, but that doesn't matter at all. So um, if you want to talk about the Bucks as a whole, that's another discussion for another time. But as far as Giannis goes, there's absolutely no one who should be um, in a front court spot over him right now. Um, and then the last absolute lock that I had for the East was uh, KD. Uh, let me just read a couple of stats so far. I'm going to compare stat lines, traditional stat lines for two separate Kevin Durant seasons. And I want you to kind of compare and contrast those in your head. Okay. So season A, 32 points per game, seven rebounds per game, six assists per game on 50% from the field, 39% from three and 87% from the line. Okay. Season B, 29 points per game, seven rebounds per game, five assists per game on 52% shooting, 43% from three, and 87% from the line. All right. So season A was Kevin Durant's 2013-14 season, also known as the year that he won MVP with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Season B is this year. Yeah, what, what Kevin Durant has done returning from an Achilles injury, an injury that usually honestly it destroys a lot of athletes career. It's really hard to come back from that because it robs you of your athleticism, your explosiveness, but Kevin Durant, his game is so fluid, so smooth. It, he, he is statistically every bit as good as he was in Oklahoma, which is crazy. And those stats that I read again, 29, seven and five on 52, 43, 87 shooting splits. He's doing that on two fewer shots compared to that 2014 year, three fewer minutes per game compared to that 2014 year, and fewer attempts to the line. Some of the advanced numbers for him aren't as good as that 2014 campaign, um, but again, who cares? His usage percentage isn't as high because um, he's playing alongside Kyrie and, and Harden. So um, those again, those three guys were easy, easy choices. Those guys were locks. Now looking at the guards, um, one thing to keep in mind before I hop into these, of course, um, for the all-star starters, the voting is broken down by fan voting, which takes up 50% of the vote. And then you have um, the remaining 50% being split evenly between the media 
um, in the players. And it's actually kind of interesting to look at, you know, the media's mentality for voting and for the players and how the fans do it. You know, of course, players who are more popular have a bigger national and international following are going to have a massive fan vote. And in some cases, we see this with with Luca. We'll talk about that in a second. That that kind of pushes them over the top, over the top to uh, to be a starter. Um, so for me, I had actually I had Bradley Beal and Jalen Brown for my All Star spots. And before I talk about Kyrie, again, Kyrie is absolutely deserving. All four of these guys I'm going to talk about have very legitimate cases for being an All Star starter. Um, but let me make the case for Brown before we hop into Kyrie. So um, first off, actually, you know, Beal Beal is. 100% deserving. He was first in um, in every category for the voting out of all the backcourt players in the East. He's leading the league in points per game. He's almost 33 points a game. He's a much improved playmaker. You're not going to see that in his raw numbers. He's only averaging about four and a half assists per game. Um, but according to Kevin O'Connor, he shared this stat. He's from the ringer. Um, only 48% of Beal's potential assists have resulted in made shots, which is actually 55th out of 60 players to log at least 90 assists this year. Uh, translation, his team sucks. <laughs> They're not very good. They're missing their shots. Um, and say what you will about, you know, him sulking on the bench and him being all moody and stuff. But you know what? If your team <laughs> sucked and you were playing that well, you would be sulking too. I know I'd be sulking. So um, Beal, 100% deserving. Uh, and then, okay, now here's the case for Brown over over Kyrie in my in my eyes. The fourth guard um, is, is Harden. Um, I didn't really consider him much for the for the guard spot, at least for the starter. Um, but for Brown, it comes down to four main factors. One is his excellence on both ends of the floor, his availability, his efficiency, and then his ridiculous improvement year to year, especially from last year to this year. So again, excellence on both ends of the floor. Aside from being an incredible offensive player, he's debatably as good on defense. He's versatile, he's athletic, he's quick, he's smart. Um, and of course, when you're going to compare him to Kyrie and Harden, he's head and shoulders uh, you know, better than them on the defensive end of the floor, typically checking the opponent's best wing or perimeter player. Um, if you're going to look at availability, a big issue the Celtics have had this year um, you know, there are a lot of factors that have gone into their roughly 500 record, but the biggest thing is health and availability from their four best guys. Marcus Smart was hurt a couple of weeks ago against the Lakers. He's been out since um, and hasn't come back. Kemba, of course, missed the first several games of the season. And even when he came back, it took him a few games, uh, it took him several games to um, to look even remotely how he did last year. The last few games, Kemba's been a lot better for the Celtics. Um, and then Tatum, of course, tested positive for COVID, and he's still feeling some lingering effects from the uh, from the sickness. So, um, but then when you look at Jalen Brown, he's played in 27 of the Celtics' 29 games, uh, and his usage rate is at a, at a career high. He's been the consistent beacon of hope, pretty much for the Celtics. Um, and then the crazy thing about this is that with higher volume, he's also playing at a higher efficiency than he ever has, almost a true shooting percentage of 60%, which is crazy. And that's an improvement from last year. He's historically been a relatively efficient guy, but this year he's up to 26 points per game, 51% from the floor, 41% from three. And he's also improved a couple of, of weaknesses in his game, specifically his ball handling. That was one big issue um, coming out of Cal and in his rookie and sophomore year was that he was a little bit of a weaker ball handler. That's going to affect your confidence driving to the basket. But this year we're seeing a renewed confidence. He drives with a lot of confidence 
um, and his handle's a lot more secure. It allows him to be a better ball maker. It allows him to be a much bigger threat on the offensive side of the floor. So with those factors, again, of course, I you know I'm going to be a little biased, but I've also watched a lot of Jalen Brown this year and the improvement and his impact is undeniable. So I had Brown there. Um, and the case for Kyrie, of course, you know, I'm not shocked that he's a starter at all. He's an insanely popular player. Um, say what you will about uh, the stuff that has gone on off the court and him missing, uh, you know, several games earlier in the year. Um, he's a phenomenal player. You know, I, I, I don't exactly like how things ended with him and Boston, but I'll still flip on Nets games and I'll watch him and he'll have these stretches where I'm like, man, he is so good at basketball. He is so good. So insanely talented, such a pure shooter. And of course, I think he probably has the greatest handles of all time. Um, you know, again, the case for him, he, he's just had, he's putting up career numbers across the board. He's for the first time in his career, he's shooting over 50%. He's about 53% from the floor right now. He's a career high in three point percentage sitting at about 43%. Uh, yeah, about 28 points per game. He's averaging almost six assists. And I think the thing that's actually impressed me the most is that he's been able to slide into this more off ball shooting guard role alongside Harden, uh, who's taken on more of a playmaker and facilitator role for the Nets. Um, and those pieces are actually, you know, those three guys are working together a lot better than I think I thought they would have from a basketball standpoint. Of course, we're, you know, only 10 to 15 games into the Kyrie Harden KD era for the Nets. We'll see what happens over the coming 40 to 50 games before the playoffs ramp up. Um, but the big reason for me not having Kyrie on my personal starter list um, was just the fact that he's missed some games, not hasn't been as available for the Nets and he's still a pretty poor defender, um, but he's deserving. So um and then lastly, the other guy you could consider for a starting spot in the East was Harden. He's also more than worthy. Um, my big issue for him was, you know, how the first few weeks of the season were handled with, with Houston. I just think that was a pretty, pretty disgraceful way for his time to end there, especially for a franchise that did nothing but try and put guys around him. That's the franchise that literally created an entire system that only he could drive or he could operate at the highest level where literally the ball was in his hands almost the entire time and it just didn't work out. They put um, role player after role player alongside him. They put secondary star after secondary star alongside him and it just never worked out. And the fact that he, you know, showed up to the season out of shape, um, put forth a really, really poor effort um, the first couple of uh, first couple of games and really left his, his teammates and his new coach, Steven Silas out to dry. Um, didn't sit, didn't sit right with me. Um, and of course, you know, he goes to Brooklyn and now he's happy and he can flip the switch and he's been awesome for them. But um, what I won't deny is that he is a phenomenal basketball player and that he, he's been in, the fact that he's been able to kind of change his game and be more of a playmaker and still be a main scorer when Kyrie and or KD sit is, is pretty incredible and speaks to how gifted of a player he is. He's leading the league in assists. Um, his assist to turnover ratio is really good as well. So Harden definitely has a case. I'm OK with him not being a starter. Um, Jalen and Harden should be locks for at least reserves as well. Um, and one, one little note here at the end of the day, you know, who cares if, you, who cares if you're a starter or not? I mean, think back to, you know, for example, 2017, can you remember who the starters were for the 2017 all-star teams? No, all that matters is that you're an all-star. So it's just fun to have these debates and look at the different cases and whatnot. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm okay with Beal and Kyrie being the starters. Jalen and Harden should most definitely be there in the backcourt. So um, now looking at the West. 
So for the West, I think that there were four easy locks, three of those being in the front court. Um, I think LeBron, Jokic, and Kawhi are head and shoulders above anyone else that could have been considered for the starting spots. The big thing for LeBron and Jokic is that they are probably one and two or you know, at least top three in the MVP ladder right now. Um, talking about LeBron, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of gush about him a little bit. He, he's my personal favorite non-Celtics player of all time. And what he does honestly never ceases to amaze me. You roll your eyes if you want, but don't take LeBron James for granted. What he's doing right now in year 18 at age 36 is honestly, it's, it's incredible. He's every bit as good and every bit as inev- inevitable as he has always been. He's played in all 30 games for the Lakers so far, and he's been really their one constant. Uh, they're five and two without AD this year. And we'll, we'll you know, be exciting and interesting to see what happens over the, uh, um, the coming several games where he continues to sit out and the Lakers have a little bit more of a tougher schedule. But uh, as of right now, they're five and two without AD uh, when LeBron's. So some of the, the big case for him and also not only for all-star starter, which is a, a given, but for MVP are some of the on-off numbers the Lakers have when LeBron's off the court. The Lakers have an effective field goal percentage of 56.4 when he's on the floor and 51.3 when he's off. Just so you know, the league average is about 53%. So they're literally three percentage points better above average when he's on the floor and they're below average when he's off. Um, When he's on the court, they're about 115.7 points per 100 possessions, which would be like about the seventh ranked offense in the league right now. When he's off, they're about 107.9 points per 100 possessions. That would put them the Lakers at 25th by the Heat and the Knicks. So a, a pretty big difference, almost 10 points. Um, they outscore opponents by 11.5 points per 100 possessions when he's on the court. When he's off the court, they get outscored, even when Anthony Davis is in the game. Um, so I mean, suffice to say that his impact when he's on the court, the attention that he draws, the way that he's able to process the game is really unheralded. He, this is also the best that he shot from three since 2014. He's about 37, 38% right now, which is slightly above league average. And alongside, again, alongside Dame, um, Embiid, Jokic, he's statistically one of the best clutch players this year. He's 50% from the field and from three in clutch situations, of course. Of course, NBA.com defines clutch situations as games within five points in the last five minutes. So just given his age, his unprecedented career workload, his production, efficiency, and consistency will honestly never cease to amaze me. Um, I mean, if you want to put it simply, he's the best player on the defending champs. And they're shooting for the best record. That's not much, not much more you can ask. Um, Jokic, also arguably this year's MVP, arguably the most productive player this year. Um, for him, it's the advanced numbers. The advanced numbers are disgusting, to be frank. Um, just quickly looking at his traditional statistics, he's averaging 27, 11, and 9 on 57, 37, 87 shooting splits. Um, But as far as the advanced numbers go, he is leading the league in almost every single category. He's leading the league in value over replacement player. He's leading the league in box plus minus. He's leading the league in win shares, total win shares. And he's leading the league in win shares per 48 minutes. So (laughs) not much to say there. He's pretty much the only reason that the Nuggets are even staying afloat right now, since we've only seen occasional cameos of Bubble Murray here and there. um, And the Nuggets are just aren't they aren't exactly the same team that they were last year. So um, the fact that they're hanging around is completely attributed to Jokic. Um, The other easy lock that I had was Steph. 
Um, statistically, he's every bit as good as he was in his 2016 season when he was unanimous MVP. The field goal percentage is essentially the same. This year, Steph is shooting 42.5% from three. Um, and he's averaging about 35 and five. And that's exactly what he was in his MVP year. So um, I know a big, um, I guess, critique that uh that skeptics had about Steph was his ability to you know to carry kind of more of a lackluster supporting cast one thing that's never been denied is that Steph is a guy who can raise your ceiling but the question remained is Steph a guy that can raise your floor um is he someone who can you know again drag a team that might be a little more underwhelming um to the playoffs like we've seen players like LeBron do um and this year, he's absolutely been doing that. Uh, kind of on a side note alongside that, I think people are really underestimating what Draymond's been able to do for them. I think we're seeing a reinvigorated Draymond Green. The last, I'd say, season and a half or so has been pretty underwhelming from an effort stand standpoint on Draymond. And I know a lot of people were asking if um, at this point he's past his prime and over the hill. But Draymond's been awesome this year for them. And uh, um, But of course, you know, Steph is the the engine that has kept the uh, the Warriors moving moving forward so he was a super easy choice now um, and then the last one that I had was Kawhi um, Kawhi is having quietly and very much in character with Kawhi another amazing season his numbers are every bit as good as they have been in some of his best seasons he's averaging 26 6 and 5 he's shooting the highest true shooting percentage of his career and the Clippers defense is top tier when he's on the floor so nothing much to say there now of course like I said the big I guess the big snub, the big debate is Luca versus Dame. Um, my personal choice was I actually did have Damian Lillard in there over Luca. Um, if you look at the media and the uh, and the player voting, they were actually neck and neck. Um, what gave Luca the edge was um, his advantage of the fan vote over Damian Lillard, which you might think would be surprising given how popular Damian Lillard is. He doesn't really have a lot of, honestly, a lot of people who don't like him and it's kind of hard not to like Damian Lillard given how you know whether you see it through his loyalty or how clutch he is or how tough he is um but Luca you know he has the international though I think we underestimate how powerful the international vote is um but again Lillard was my initial choice but as you kind of step back and look at the numbers and look at the cases either guy was incredibly deserving um, I think the big reason we feel like there might be a discrepancy here is because the the Blazers, you could argue, are overachieving in terms of team success, especially without Nurkic and CJ, um, whereas uh, the Mavericks came into the season with really high expectations. Luka was um, the odds-on favorite to win MVP. A lot of people had the Mavericks as dark horse Western Conference final, um, a Western Conference final team. Uh, and, and they they've underachieved whether that's you know fair or not just because they have kind of a thinner roster and they've had um, issues with injuries um, that's just that's just the fact and and the casual fan is going to see that so um, the case for Dame is that despite he hasn't been as efficient as last year um, his usage rate is a lot higher and and when I say he hasn't been as efficient it's it's barely um, he's been doing more for the team. He's averaging 34 and eight on 45, 38, 93 shooting splits. The last 15 games, those averages go up to about 32 points per game, almost nine assists per game. Again, his, his clutch stats are unreal, especially again, over the last 10 to 15 games or so they're nine and five without Nurkic and CJ. Um, and overall their record, they're just a game behind Philly. Philly is 20 and 10 as of the time of this podcast and the Blazers are 18 and 10. And just so you know, the Sixers, right now have the best record in the East. So um, Damian Lillard has been amazing. 
the case for Luca is that he also has insane stats. He's averaging 29, nine and nine. He's been carrying the Mavericks that have missed Porzingis for 11 games. And the Mavericks aren't nearly as deep as Portland. The Mavericks are statistically one of the worst three point shooting teams and have been unable to convert those. Whereas last year, the Mavericks were statistically and historically one of the best offenses of all time. So um, I have Lillard in there because I think he best marks off the boxes between, and I guess he finds the best balance between all around individual stats and team success. Um, again, that's not to say that, that Luca isn't worthy or, um, you know, isn't deserving of being the all-star starter. I just think Dame had a slightly stronger case. Um, but of course we're going to see Dame, you know, use this as a chip on his shoulder um, when he's going to be an all-star anyways. And again, at the end of the day, who cares if you're a starter or not, all that matters is that you're an all-star. So um, that's it. Those are my thoughts kind of on the starters. Um, not much controversy here, except for, of course, the, you know, the Luca and Dame debates. Um, I know there'll be a lot more controversy probably and a lot more room for debate when the reserves are announced. I'll be sure to dive deeper into those when the time comes. Um, again, as always, there are always going to be snubs. <laughs> the thing is, is that, you know, being an all-star should be tough. That's there are only 24 spots, 12 in each conference. And if you're going to be one of the 24 best players in the league, guess what? It, it should be tough. And especially in a league where I think the league is so full of talent right now and so deep uh, that there are going to be a lot of guys who are going to be snubbed, especially this year. I think you can go up and down the rosters for each team. I think there are, you know, several guys that have legitimate cases to be an all-star this year. And guess what? They're not all going to, they're all, not all going to be voted. So um, that'll be fun to, to dive into next week. Again, when the reserves are announced, the coaches are the ones who vote for the, uh, for the reserves. Um, so we'll look into who made it and we'll look into uh, who didn't make it and who might've had a good case um, and kind of shine the light on some players who are having really good seasons and maybe aren't being talked about as much. So um, that's all I got for episode one. Appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll talk next week.